0: Jumbo, you're listening to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. We share uplifting stories from people all over the world working to change our planet for the better. I'm Joy, and we are closing our Plastic Free July with a bang. This week, we speak to Depeche Pabari, one of the leaders of the Flip Floppy Expedition, which will use plastic waste collected from the beaches and towns of Kenya to build a 60 foot dhow that will be sailed from Lamu to Cape Town, a staggering distance of 5,250 kilometers. In this interview, we talk about all sorts of things, including Depeche's varied and social impact focused career, plastic pollution, the trials and tribulations of the ambitious flip-floppy, and where to from here for humanity. Follow along or jump ahead using the show notes on our website at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcasts.
1: Depesh, thank you so much for having us here in your home in Nairobi. It is wonderful to meet you. Now when we put together the questionnaire for you we had to think carefully about what to ask you because you have had a very varied uh career path mm. but before we get into that can we just kick things off by finding out where you were born and where you grew up
2: so i'm kenyan born in western kenya um, on the shores of lake victoria um and raised over there uh well close to there i went to boarding school and then ended up overseas for my for 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 my studies did my graduate in in London and came back home and that's pretty much it so this is this is home yeah so nairobi has always been home not nairobi uh, we're here really because of the schooling for the kids so that's the only reason we're here just because the, the the availability of decent schools out of a big city like nairobi are not many okay so Actually, I run, a, I run an outdoor adventure company on the slopes of Mount, Ke- uh, Mount Kenya, which is yeah, about three or four hours from here. And um, before that, um, I, ran a, I ran a school expeditions company on the coast. So and that's where we built our family home.
1: You mentioned you studied in the UK. Yeah. What, what was your f- undergraduate in?
2: So I, did, I did my undergraduate in Turkey, and I did that in English literature and education. And I did a postgraduate in social anthropology
0: kind of varied quite uh, of varied.
2: yeah <laughs> i never quite figured out what i wanted to do with myself so i just liked <laughs> learning and anthropology seemed to be the widest possible discipline to learn and read okay and that was that
1: and yeah. you've you've done a bit of i know you've done a bit of writing and yeah. consulting as well yeah. uh, i wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about those aspects of your life
2: so i taught for a while as well i was a i was a, a primary school teacher and um and got very passionate about writing and uh I started writing for various journals in Kenya and newspapers yeah at one point I was you know publishing an article a week yeah for one of the mainstream papers over here and once a month and then for travel travel news, uh, travel magazines as well and then I got very um, sucked into the the budding literary scene of Kenya at the time which was it was having a, a revolution in itself um, and I was very inspired by these um these uh, younger Kenyan writers who who were who questioning um, the status quo of Kenyan literature because it was very governed by by the the, the the universities at the time and what the academia deemed was good literature or bad literature etc um, and uh, I threw myself uh, wholeheartedly at it not so much as a writer but more so as someone who wanted to promote it and get the word out so I got involved running festivals for the for the literature scene and um, and the cultural scene as well for many years so that was a lot of fun a lot of work hard work but it was very rewarding yeah I don't know how I've ended up where I've ended up yeah <laughs> an <laughs>
0: adventure an adventure company so yeah of how did <laughs> I, I
2: also worked in public health for quite a while as well. Um, So you're
0: slowly just ticking all the boxes, just like working through all the careers. Basically every career out Uh, there. And to be more
2: specific, it was male circumcision. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah. On the fringe, right? (laughs) On the fringe. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) Very niche. Very,
2: very niche, yeah. So I I, I worked as an ethnographer for a very large um, male circumcision trial, which was trying to determine whether male circumcision reduces the risk of HIV. Oh, wow. And the answer has been a big overwhelming yes. So there's massive rollouts across many countries in Africa to, to promote um, safe male circumcision.
0: Wow, how yeah. interesting. Yeah
2: So, so that, that I was there at the very beginning of that when it was sort of being rolled out. And um, the professor who took me on, um, he, 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 he was very he, he's a wonderful man. He was very curious to know it wasn't so much about people's per- perceptions about male circumcision what w- he was he was curious to know what people perceived about research as a whole wow. specifically public health research you know because local communities here are constantly being engaged with these big public health studies and very often than not is that information goes out and it's published and the people who are part and parcel of it have no clue so I spent six months on the streets of Kisumu just talking to young people and often getting very drunk because that's <laughs> the way you get to know people and, um, <laughs> and just listening to this stuff very much like what you're doing I, I, I interviewed thousands of people wow yeah it was wonderful it was fascinating we drove around on a little bicycle went to crummy bars and spoke to all sorts of, all sorts of young men and yeah eventually the work was published and
0: <laughs> yeah oh
2: so wow, what that's
0: an a exciting a project yeah, no yeah
2: it was very exciting it was, it was uh, you know you l- you l- when you learn to listen you learn so much yeah, and uh, and I think that really taught me how important it is to listen properly to people. And particularly when, you know, when you come, you're Africans, you know, and we're we're so divided here on racial lines, on tribal lines, on colored lines, on economical lines. Uh, and when you're able to break through that and get to know people who are generally uneducated, poor people, and you're learning so much, you know, and it's it's so humbling. Mm. It's, it's been, it was wonderful. And I, I think it was definitely a... a a, a game changer for me in, 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 in how what i value as, as a human being as well and what i respect so it was great
1: we interviewed a guy by the name of he was the founder of sulco
0: harish
1: uh, Handi and uh, he said something quite interesting because he did similar things for his business which was setting up um off the grid decentralized little solar power units in throughout india and he was saying that when somebody's poor, you automatically assume that they are intellectually uh, below or substandard. Mm. But that, in fact, is not the case. Mm. But it's only when you start engaging with them on a deeper level. And like you said, listening to them that you actually realize there's a lot, there's a yeah, lot there.
2: Absolutely. And we share so much in common, just one person to another person, Yeah, mm. the, 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 yeah deep down. So true. We're all yeah.
0: Was there something that you remember particularly well that stood out of your mind as a key lesson you learned from, from speaking to those people?
2: Um. Yeah, I, I think so. I learned. Uh, I think uh, growing up in Kenya, generally as a middle to upper class, uh, privileged person, you, 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 you tend to you, you tend to uh, form certain judgments and uh, and take on a, a degree of arrogance. I think. Um, that, you know, w- what's wrong with people? Why are they like acting like this? You know, and things like that. You know, statements I made even about the 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 the, the, the way people drive over here. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, they drive like that because they've never been taught to drive. They have bought their licenses.
0: Yeah, doesn't it's the way the system it's saying. the way the
2: system is. And I think I think the the the, the lesson I came out with is not to be n- not to be so judgmental very quickly, and a lot more understanding of why someone might steal, why someone might not perform in their job, why someone m- may do things the way they do it. And not necessarily understand it, but at least say it is what it is. Mm. Yeah. Who am I to judge it? I'll give you an example, of, say, for example, I, I worked in wildlife conservation as well for quite a long time too. And, you know, uh, uh, and and it used to get to me why everyone was sort of pointing the fingers at poor people hunting for bushmeat or anything like that. I'm like, hold on a second. If I was poor, and I needed to put food on my family's table, and it was a question of life and death, or just a meal, would, a I, would yeah. I do the same thing? Oh, Probably. Is. Yeah? Yeah. So who am I to judge in these situations? So I think it's just sort of crossing that border of empathy a little bit more, um, yeah? Uh, and I'm not saying I'm wonderful or anything, but I often find myself catching myself out when I am slightly angry with the way things are over here, or maybe be too judgmental to a person like hold on a second pull mm. yourself back so, so yeah it's it good awesome. it's important to meet people very important absolutely um,
1: yeah so also want to just touch on the fact that you've spent quite a bit of time as well turning trash into art what if you can talk us through that aspect of your life
2: where did that begin <laughs> Where um, did you fit that one in? Where <laughs> did I fit that one in? Not before not or, no. or
0: after circumcision? Uh,
2: <laughs> just after, actually. Just after. No, <laughs> just after. <laughs> no, so we moved. We eventually moved to the coast. I got a. I was teaching at the time um, in Nairobi and didn't like teaching very much. Um, and uh, the, an opportunity came up for a, a, a job as an education officer in an animal welfare organization, oh, wow. which happened to be based in Mombasa on the north coast of Kenya. Uh, Mombasa is Kenya's second largest city, it's a very big port city um, and uh, n- not well paid or anything and uh, we packed up when we drove to Mombasa and I started working as an education officer so they were looking for someone to help publish their educational materials and design their education programs for sort of dropping it into the school curriculums in Kenya and in the local education sector as well beyond Kenya we had programs in as far as Sierra Leone so, so Joining that and moving to the coast, and um, ironically, I mean, my 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 bosses weren't good because they were perpetually quite drunk. But <laughs> it, literally from ten o'clock in the morning. Oh gosh! Oh wow! Um, but it did allow. It gave me a lot of liberty. You know, you can have an opportunity where you can sit down and do nothing like everyone else, or you can say, "Wow." you know, I can do some great stuff over here. You know, nobody else is doing it and she needs someone to be producing in this office, so I'll produce. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was great because I could, um, I, could as- I essentially had the reins of the office in many ways. And because they hadn't been particularly excited about doing very much, um, when I came on, I was able to get more in touch with the UK office and set up a campaigns department and you know, get other things going because it was suddenly s- some energy. Um and it was it, it was during that period that we were taking on believe it or not uh, 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 the, the the organization I was working for was had a big international anti-whaling campaign and at the time uh, the International Whaling Commission was playing a very interesting sort of political game where it would invite a lot of um countries within Africa that actually weren't even on the ocean to come and vote in favor of whaling at the International Whaling Commission so you get these random guys from Chad and wherever coming to the big International Whaling Commission in Norway or Japan and putting their hands up at the right time and there was always that sort of Japan was sort of saying well if you do this and you show favoritism towards us maybe you know there'll be a little bit more support for your country etc so l- yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of African countries wow. were actually constituted that whaling commission when you look sort of deep down this is this is 12 years ago uh, and i don't know what it's like today so I'm, I'm talking from a long time ago um uh so Kenya has always been very strong in terms of its 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 animal welfare f- um principles within conservation it's one of the few if only countries in Africa that still doesn't allow hunting mm. trophy hunting mm. um so we thought, well, I thought it might have been a good idea to get help us, Kenya, as a country, to reach out to its fellow African countries to convince them not to be going into the whaling commission and not to be putting up your hands for the various reasons. So part of that was to build more awareness that actually Kenya has these creatures called whales. So we've developed various local campaigns and things like that. And, um, and, and you know, started to recognize, you know, that we have whales, not just lions and in the ocean nobody knows whales over here yeah as you can imagine yeah, yeah. it's all about
0: yeah. the african animals yeah, it's all yeah. about
2: the african animals um so it was during that time i came across a company that was making these wonderful um arts and crafts out of small flip-flops that were picked from the beaches and turned into beautiful craft um it was, it was started up by a lady called julie church who was a c- strong conservationist actually i got to know her when I was doing a documentary on dugongs, before that many years ago,
0: yeah, <laughs> another definitely another
2: before one. the circumcision. Nah, that was before the circumcision. <laughs> yeah, I did a, we did a uh, we went in search of the dugong for many weeks. We never found it. We drifted on the Indian Ocean in Dao, oh, just wow. like the one I'm building, and uh, we filmed for weeks and we never found one. So oh. that's where I got to know Julie because okay. she was out there doing her her sort of conserva- marine conservation, and she. Told me about this thing, and I started to look it up, and said these are great things, you know, the, the beautiful art and craft. And there's the company that she she then left the company, and it's now called Ocean Soul. Yes, I and they've it. gone global. Be- yes, yeah.
0: I've seen the Facebook videos. I'm beautiful. Yeah. yeah, beautiful and they things. These
2: life-sized giraffes and all sorts wow. of wonderful, wonderful stuff. I'll show you a few of them over here. So when I was trying to think of a way to sort of raise awareness. Um, I thought, what what can we and having living on the beach at the time as well and starting to sort of see trash and getting to your into your into your into your, into your mindset, you know, there's psych, there's a problem over here. It's not all rosy, golden, beautiful beaches, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trash on these beaches. And so I approached Julie Church and I said, you know, I've got this campaign and I'm trying to find a way to to, to, to do something big to make Kenyans sort of aware of these whales. I said, Do you think we could build a life size whale entirely out of flip flops? said why not so the organization gave me the funding and we worked with a a well-renowned artist to build the the frame and we 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 made a life-size 11 meter minky whale and covered it entirely in (laughs) flip-flops cool and uh it, it got huge amounts of attention as you can imagine it was the first probably of its kind and uh, it it toured around, it went from Mombasa I think it ended up in Nairobi at one point now it's now it's housed at 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 a public park in Mombasa cool so that was sort of the beginning of playing with with ocean trash I guess um it was a lot of fun and yeah it's nice to know at one point they they we were offered to have it taken to the London Museum and I was against that because I thought you know what it's meant for Kenyans. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was yeah, the it's whole point of it. It was yeah. the whole point of it. Yes, it'll take huge international media, get all this recognition for the organization, but what's it doing for the Kenyans? And now it's in a public park, and I think that's where it's meant to be. Absolutely. And I'm so happy with that. And it, it, it sat on a local beach for quite a while. You know, you've seen them around as well now with all the big pl- Sky News has been funding them as well. These big sculptures made out of plastic bottles, whales predominantly as mm-hmm. well. And they're touring around Europe and things like that. I think the first one was made in Kenya about four, 12 years ago.
1: Wow! Yeah,
2: I think so. I would imagine so. You know, from wow. marine litter. Um, so 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 yeah, that was that was good. Um, where did that lead to? <laughs> Eventually, I ended up working for a, a company running school expeditions on the south coast of Kenya, and again, uh, uh, I had quite a lot of liberty to design the programs. It was a it was one of these sort of global companies that rec- has schools traveling from the UK predominantly. They come to Kenya for one month and they do three weeks of community service and one week of an adventure. They climb out Kenya or they go scoop, they do their paddy scuba diving open water, and that's the sort of routine. And we had these local camps. It was it's a, it's a, the, the original foundation and ethos of the company was wonderful. Um, it's it's proliferated and grown to a v- much much bigger um, beast now, but the the whole the, the whole initial philosophy was to set up their own permanent camps in places away from tourism, which could essentially generate a form of tourism and help the community through service. Oh,
0: cool, yeah. So a
2: portion of your funds would go towards helping a school. You would go and then spend a week at the school. You might be building. You might be working on something. Um, uh, uh, or you might be doing some marine conservation, helping with beach cleanups, etc. So, so, whilst you can you know, question the impact of building desks for poor people, um, the, the, the amount of additional opportunity that that can raise, because once you get firmly embedded into a community, you're not just in and out. We had a camp literally in the middle of a village. And that camp would be able to accommodate almost 150 to 200 students. And we had several of these in Kenya. So we were employing about 40 people from within the community already. You have a school, obviously, next door. It's your typical rural African sort of setting over there. You have farmers next door to you. You you can start looking at uh, sustainable agricultural practices. You can start looking at sponsorship and scholarship opportunities for students. So all sorts of things can grow from that. yeah. And and that was really exciting for me because I was able to sort of you know do stuff yeah w- which was beyond sort of building desks yeah so w- you know um, we set up a briquette making uh, program as well that was done with the local fo- um, sacred forest we set up a camp within the local sacred forest so they were able to generate revenue from that and therefore have more of an incentive to protect their trees we set up a squad by the time I left we had about 80 students from within that community on secondary school fees, and we had a couple of them even going through university. Um, we set up a reusable sanitary pad program where we taught local girls how to make reusable pads, and we set up a tailoring center for them as well. Um, so during that time, because we had marine programs and we had these local rural programs, is this interesting? Very. Okay. Keep, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> this is gold. This is this wait, is really wait, sort of reliving. None of
1: this was on the internet. Yeah, though. I couldn't we find this any of this news. on the internet.
2: Okay, I'll yeah. send you a couple of links, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Mm. the um, so so what happened is obviously because we we're, we're right there on the coastline, which is absolutely beautiful, the south coast of Kenya, it's where we built our family home right now, and that's where my family is today um, and because I was involved in these you know, they're superficial they're they they they're, they're, they're not, I w- not superficial is probably the wrong word for it. they're not policy changing programs, yeah they they are direct impact within a, a, a given yeah. area that you are in, yeah. And that's what i sort of liked about it as well you can you can see, see visually the change. the change that you're making to this particular comi- mm. community but because you're also bringing capital in so you're not just building desks and chairs you're literally injecting capital through tourism it's a great responsible tourism model in that respect and those
1: you know. dollars i assume were left there yeah, as I opposed mean, to being absolutely you're, out.
2: You're, you're you're renting the land from a community you built a camp on that you're paying your landlords you're hiring people from within the village we were going up to summer seasons with 800 to 1000 students in kenya alone oh wow that's who were here for up to a month so i had four i was in charge of the east africa program at tanzania and uganda so we had this m- mass of people coming in and doing all this stuff and it y- sounds high volume but when you're spreading it into places where i have no tourism you know it's huge and, and, and in a way don't leave that big of a footprint i don't believe so because it's not like you've got. 20 land cruisers to drive f- uh 20 people around yeah you've got one school bus and it's driving 30 people into the village they're spending an entire week over there they're walking out to the different community projects they're coming back in it's all minimally uh, impact on the environment you know it's c- uh, it's cold showers or bucket showers it's pure basic stuff yeah and that's what they sign up for so I think I, I during that time I, I, I found out a little bit about uh, some projects in South America where they was they were experimenting and started building houses with plastic bottles. Oh, cool! And at the time, the the the, the programs that we had developed had had become quite advanced to the that My I wanted to create uh, a vocational training center that would be for the community but fairly attached to our camp. So. the the directors uh, were very supportive of it all and we had a foundation as well and they we we proposed it to the foundation and the board and they said wonderful idea can we create this sort of holistic training center for community that we could potentially replicate as a model that would happen in borneo or in cambodia where the other camps were as well yeah just some sort of program that sort of touches on environment education sustainability good practice permaculture etc all the rest of that so that was the first pilot over there. They, we bought three acres of land and, and um, I said, well, let's not just put buildings up, let's build them with bottles. So we built a tailoring center entirely made of bottles. We built a computer- A
1: tailoring center? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we
2: had like twen- 10 machines, sewing machines. The girls from the secondary school would come over there. They'd be making reusable pads. It was actually very supported by an Australian girl who was one of our gap year students. And she came back and she just loved it. And she went back and was so inspired. She set up her own charity. And I still work with her, we do a little bit of reusable pad stuff together, and she supports various projects here. Um, and then, I was always very into, s- somewhat probably naively, but mayb- maybe not so, um, I, I wanted to integrate IT uh, and digita- digital education as much as possible for, for, for children who had no access to, to IT. Um, we're, we're getting left behind on this continent at, you know, 12 years ago. The world has gone into digitizing and, uh, and, and digital. and you know, Your iPad is where you take your questions now. That's, that is our lives. Yeah. And, and you know, in Kenya particularly, computers are compulsory in the education system. But there are no computers. So they're sitting this theoretical exam. And you, you, know, you ask the question, is reading and writing really any use if you're not computer literate and you want to get a job in this world? I think the answer is probably no it's a very Very hard question yeah yeah what chance will that child actually have of actually going beyond sort of their farm or or manual labor work if they're not computer literate Mm -hmm. virtually zero so in its own little pilot way we set up you know I got uh, I got a bunch of old computers and we set up computer lab as well also made out of bottles and things like that so every part of it I tried I wanted it to be I wanted it to have a message of sort of environmental friendly solving one problem to, uh, to, to create a solution for something else I found out about permaculture at the time I got all excited about permaculture <laughs> and then I got some people to come and train the community about permaculture we set up the centers of permaculture zone and then of course there was wastewater management that I wanted to get. then I started looking internally at the company as well saying okay we're not very good with our waste systems over here how can we do this that the other so we dug this big hole in the compound, and we drained all of our shower water into that. That was being recirculated for our chili farms and our moringa farms. And it was beautiful. Sounds it,
0: like a lot of impact it, and fun. It, it
2: was so much fun. I mean, it was my it was my my joy. It was like it, it was. I had so much pleasure in, in being involved in it, and it ran very well for a, a, a while. Sadly, the the company that I was working for took a big hit in tourism. Due to the 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 um, the terrorism that happened in Kenya oh. during that period, we had the shopping mall that was hit. It was fairly recently, wasn't it? Yeah, it feels recently, but recently, no, no, no. It's
0: almost been. It's, it's one of those time warp
2: things. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably about seven, eight years ago now. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Hold on, Amber's kid. She had a friend who was in there. He was a baby uh, seven years ago. Um. I left that company just before that happened. No. It's yeah i left before westgate happened um and uh the uh the events of westgate and all the other things that followed uh caused this company to basically they 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 had to downsize hugely yeah they could barely keep it open i mean when i was running it we had 60 permanent employees and sort of a casual workforce of almost 200 you know after that event they were downsized to probably Five, seven eight people wow. I mean, so nobody sad. was coming to kenya and it's particularly because we were dealing with minors students yeah. suddenly all the and no
0: parents would let their kids yeah come, and the yeah. travel
2: alerts and insurance won't give you the insurance to for these for these school kids to come out and things like that
0: even for us now when we check the travel alerts they were like don't go to don't go to kenya
2: yeah and they're not exactly they everyone's issuing warnings yeah yeah so 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 yeah that was and and i don't think they were able to sustain it you know, obviously just keeping the business going. But the company has grown tremendously since then. It operates in Borneo and Cambodia and um, all sorts of places in South America, etc. Um, why am I telling this story? <laughs> the, 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 so, so I guess the passion for plastic and trash had this opportunity to express itself because I was able to do functional things with it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just... Because then we also got more into the flip-flops as well. Because now I got really into flip-flops. <laughs> we, had the, we had all these kids <laughs> and we were picking <laughs> stuff from the beach. And then I, I, tr- I worked with this wonderful guy who's now still part of the, the, the flip-floppy team. He's an artist called Benson Guitari. And um, when we met, we... Um, it, it actually, my wife met him. She'd asked him to do some work for him on drawing cartoons. He is an am- amazingly talented person. He's one of these people. Can you draw this? He will draw. Can you... Sculpt this. He will sculpt off his head. So I went up to Benson one day and I said, "Benson, I want to build a life-size um, whale shark. Do you think you can you can put it together?" And he said, "Show me a picture." And then he said, "Bring me this much metal," and I brought that much metal. And he just sat there over two days and he took iron, uh, building building um, iron. You know this the, the iron that you put into houses, the steel. Sorry, right. that you put into houses, and he bends it and he bends it, and next thing you know, perfectly shaped. Proportionately, perfectly proportionate whale shark. Wow! So then we covered that in flip-flops, and that ended up on another beach as well. Then I'm benson like, listen, you know, there's this flip-flop thing as well. Maybe (laughs) we can carve and (laughs) (laughs) carving away at these things, and then we started a whole other little industry of making making keychains, making juggling balls, making uh, toothpaste holders, entirely out of flip-flops and things like this. And uh, he and his group of people were getting paid good money. And the profits, because now we had an international market through our program at Camps International, so the profits were all going back into the foundation.
0: Yes. Very so cool. we were
2: making, you know, a hundred percent profit, which was hundred percent of it was going back into the foundation. So I had this kitty of money that we were able to do so much more with sponsor students and things like that. It was great.
0: And these flip-flops, w- the, the supply of flip-flops was just off the beach. Off
2: the beach, there was no shortage of flip-flops. No there shortage of flip-flops. You would be shocked how many flip-flops Why? there are. Where are on
0: all the beach. these flip-flops coming from?
2: Everywhere. So it is the shoe of the world. If you think about it, yeah. Yeah. it's the one shoe that every it has proliferated the entire globe. Yeah, Jeez. three billion people wear flip-flops.
0: I, I it's a lot
2: of hundreds of millions of people losing them on beaches.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or on the ocean. I saw that stat actually in that video of yours. Yeah. Flip floppy video. What yes. is it? Like 1.6 billion people <laughs> or flip flops floating around. Around the ocean. crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's so there's no stuff. shortage of them. So, you know, we would do these beach cleanups and yeah, we would just have bags and bags of it. So the kids would also be learning. The international students would be learning how to do that was part of their programs. And, and all the rest of that. So, um,
0: quite a, quite a path.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so before okay so this is a good segue into flip floppy but before we get there I just want to I want to understand how or why you care so much about the environmental and social issues I, I can see you're so clearly passionate about it so and energetic and about solve it, it and, <laughs> and energetic what what moment in your life did that click for you was it a progressive interest
2: that grew how did it happen I maybe my mother has a big role to play in that she's um, she's a landscaper she's a botanist um, she's a strong Turk so our holidays were spent um, doing transplanting in the garden and weeding and cutting grass and and um, I spent a lot of my my holidays gardening okay and uh, you know planting trees and she's she she's she's very special that way I guess there's a degree of sort of influence from that you know I don't know I, I, I I won't call myself An environmentalist or in an an, an active activist in that respect Um, I think I like to learn I I like to do new things and um, I like to take on things that I think that will hopefully have a positive impact with my surroundings and the community that I'm in there and you can choose to do lots of different things yeah so 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 things that have always caught my attention is you know Wow, so even I mean with, w- with plastic pollution uh, as an example, um, I can't say I went into it thinking, oh my god, this is a disaster when I saw it 12 years ago. Read about statistics, say it's a, it's a huge problem. I probably went into thinking, wow, what else can we do with that stuff? Yeah? And it's probably now that it's more of, uh, 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 oh my goodness, we, you know, the, the cock has really come home to roost, yeah. so to speak, yeah? Um, so, I think th- there's a degree of that as well. Um, I think the internet has been a godsend. You know, t- y- you think about how we used to interact with the internet 12 years ago, 15 years ago with dial up, and <laughs> you, <know> you <laughs> get there, and then suddenly <laughs> you find this page, and it would be about this random guy in South America who's building bottle houses and you'd you'd spend time reading it wouldn't you you would absorb all that information it's not like instagram now it's ding 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 ding, (laughs) you know and then suddenly the world just opens up to you and then you you find yourself next thing in india Mm. i mean it was such a joy to be of that generation where the internet was
0: that's true what
2: was what it was it was like suddenly the whole library was right there in front of your screen yeah and it just take you on these amazing journeys and suddenly oh i want to do this oh i'll try that you know uh, and it's all those little things I think that really sort of get you going I guess yeah Yeah. so so yeah I just think you know growing up in in a country like Kenya where you are surrounded by so much beauty but so much poverty and and so much unfairness um, I do strongly feel that I have I have a duty through my privilege to be hopefully helping more than just me and my immediate family I think everything that we do should have a, a positive impact in one form or the other beyond just yourselves. So so I, I'd like to think I try and live by those principles. It's hard sometimes, of course it is, you know, especially when you face corruption and you just get so, so disillusioned by what you're doing and whether your taxes are going to anything or whatever it is. But hey, you do your bit, yeah? yeah
1: Yep. yeah
2: yeah i i i I, I did i did go strongly into political activism for a couple of years of my life um (laughs) after our (laughs) post-election violence yeah and ran a very strong blog and and was out on the streets demonstrating and getting involved with all the other activists over here and that got pretty scary for a while because it was a time when people were dropping dead because of what they had to say or disappearing in kenya and um yeah i mean i I started making a bit of a name for myself in the sense that not many um not many people of my color come out as strong political activists in kenya being of indian origin um we we tend to shy away from sort of frontline politics in kenya as a community and i think that excited the media a little bit more Mm -hmm. so suddenly who is this young brown man who's walking marching with you know our mainstream activists and things like that so i think I didn't want to do it in vanity but I could see suddenly hold on I have a chance over here to do something a little bit more yeah I, I'm not saying it in, in, a, in a in a in a in a show-offy way but they're looking at me not probably because I have anything s- sensible to say more than him I'm a young naive guy who's just really disillusioned with the way things are happening but people are th- the media's paying attention so you you can play that sort of to your thing so so yeah Oh. That as well too.
0: Jeez, you really have done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, all all aspects. Yeah. Very, it was wonderful at one point because we were um, partly distributing these uh, these T-shirts that got banned by the by the by the by the government at the time. We had all <laughs> these T-shirts saying, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, you know, various different sort of political slogans. I can't re- none, none of them ring any come to mind straight away. I'm sure they will but uh, the, the T-shirts were banned and our house was just full of them. Yeah, We, we were basically, <laughs> they Contraband. were been printed one place and they were being left at my place and they were being distributed elsewhere and I had my little four-year-old girl standing up there with her T-shirt on, <laughs> on,
0: on on the
2: vlog and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Fun times.
2: Yeah, yeah, important times as well yeah. for Kenya. I guess, you know, you do your bit for what your country needs as well at that time. Or your, I don't want to say, say country in a patronizing, uh, not sorry, in a know nationalistic way but these are my immediate surroundings yeah. people are dying what can i do absolutely. absolutely yeah my mother has always run been very strong on these things as well so she's always run a charity for as long as i can remember she's always been building schools for local people she's always been sponsoring students she's been bringing up these orphans right up to university so that was very much part of our childhood all throughout wow. until today as well so if you ask for maybe an influence i mean those are the sort of things that that consciously absorbed. or or unconsciously do have an impact on your life certainly of rubbed off on you yeah, yeah it sounds like so i even remember i mean when 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 this whole thing hullabaloo broke out on the post-election violence and the tribes were sort of killing each other and the, the big tribes were and there was this you know huge sort of movement of people because you know one tribe was living in a place where the majority were sort of taking slaughtering them to a certain extent so mom at the time said, I've got to help these people get out of here and I've got to help the people that are coming in here. And so there's not much I can do, but I can try and raise money. Um, and so I opened a blog to raise money. And the, the, the response was just wonderful at the time because we reached out to friends. And it was it, it was this was this was yeah, this was about what 12 years ago when we had our post election violence. And uh, crowdfunding wasn't that big around you. Neither were blogs in this part of the world, but just that personal network. And people just giving $10 and $50 and you know literally within about 48 hours we'd raise $10,000 you know ah. wow you know, yeah. and just that was friends just passing money through and everything and suddenly you know we were able to help so many people with this little amount of money and that got me very excited about the sort of the internet and the power of the internet and the power of crowdfunding yeah. so yeah so again cool. you learn so much and I think that's always fascinating when you do that just like your journey over here you know this is really fascinating for you but all the other people that you've met over the last six months, you're just like, wow, you know, yeah. am I going to learn about this or am I going to learn about that? Am I going to save the whales or am <laughs> I going to save the wolves? Or what am I going to do? It's, it's so beautiful. It's yeah. so humbling.
0: It really expands it your mind. As you say, the importance of talking to people and learning about experiences all over the world, it's really critical. Yeah. Let's talk about your immediate project. Let's talk about the Flip Floppy. Can you give us an overview of what it is and how it came to be?
2: All right. Um, so. Having moved now back up country from the coast, um, I got offered to buy into an outdoor adventure company, so which is where I am now. I'm I, um, a director of a company called Rift Valley Adventures where we run, um, we do a lot of uh, mountain climbing, canyoning, rock climbing, mountain biking, that's what we do, predominantly for school groups um, and the British Army as well. So that's, that's situated on the slopes of Mount Kenya, uh, the second highest mountain in Africa. Um, and uh i bumped into about 2 years ago at a barbecue i bumped into a, a a a person who i happened to be in school with 30 years ago wow and we got talking and during this last 4 or 5 years i have to say i haven't the the, the company i i i run right now is a pretty Strong beast and has taken a lot of my attention, um, so I've not really had a time to sort of play around with plastic or the other <laughs> sort of develop the other hobbies, um, which are now I'm starting to do as well a lot more for the company itself. But uh, so 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 when Ben and I got talking um, at this barbecue, and Ben said to me, "I've got this idea. I want to build a. I want to build a sixty foot boat entirely out of recycled plastic." I just sort of looked at him and I thought, "Oh my goodness, this is <laughs> it's coming back!" This it's is
0: right on my it's, alley. <laughs>
2: it's back. And I just looked at him and said, "That is the craziest, most beautiful idea I have ever heard." <laughs> and you just saw flip flops, right? <laughs> and that was it. And we just got talking, and we did. We talked and talked, and he was on a sabbatical, like you guys. Um, he had moved to Nanuki with his family for six months. He's also in tourism. He had run a, a fairly successful tourism business tour agency in in the UK sold that and then as a family they decided to go see the world all these beautiful places that they had been selling so they ended up in Kenya in Nanuki for six months Um, it's a very beautiful part of Kenya Uh, and Ben during all these years of, of, of selling holidays and ending up in Mozambique and the Maldives and all of these places you know he had all he had been impacted by by the amount of plastic he was seeing on the beaches, so as sort of Ben says it, he says, you know, here I am selling these golden white beaches, but actually they're not really golden white anymore, or they're getting less golden white. And I think that really um, struck him very, very hard. And um, I, I, and he he's a, he's he's a, he's a bit of an explorer um, and an expeditionist as well by nature, and always been fascinated by um, by by the Indian Ocean and by Dows. So I think the two came into his head. And Ben is one of these guys where sort of he, he comes up with an idea and he says, we're going to do it. He doesn't quite know that how he's going to do it, but he knows he's going to do he's it. He's a visionary. He's a visionary. Yeah, the nuts and bolts of how it's going to happen are, yeah, we'll figure that we'll out figure down the out. road. Are you in or not? And I like that. And, and I admire that. And, uh, and uh, I said, yeah, I, I have no idea how to sail a boat or how to build one for that matter, but it sounds good to me. So, so that's how it started, pretty much. And
0: and for the benefit of the listeners, what is a dhow?
2: A dhow is a traditional Indian Ocean vessel. It's probably the oldest sort of boat that has been sailing (laughs) the seas as early, probably as as long back as probably two thousand years. There's evidence to show that dows has been sailing along the Indian Ocean for as long ago as two thousand years, in different forms or the other. Now, if you look at the Indian Ocean, it connects Asia. Africa and those vessels and trade plowing over several hundred years have been and the communication and the intercultural exchange has formed things like the Tao, very much like on the Indian Ocean coast where the people have a strong sort of Arabic influence you will notice it very straight away when you're on on our coast especially in Lamu and this is hundreds of years of trade and intercultural mixing and all the rest of this yeah Um, so so the 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 the, the Dao is this beautiful vessel that that has you know has its origins probably in Oman was built on in, in places like Lamu a thousand years ago um, a, a in Yemen as well and all sorts of places like that yeah wow. it's the boat of the Indian Ocean it's steeped Gee. in
0: history huh? it's, it's
2: quite significant, significant. it's steeped in history Very and, cool. it, and and it's a yeah it, it's it's so heavily symbolic to us in that respect i think you can see where we're going with this dow yeah
0: so yeah? that's why the dow was chosen as Absolutely, the, the vessel
2: the vessel and it cannot be anything else it's not going to be a catamaran it's not going to be some high-tech sort of sailing boat or anything it's going to be a dow
0: wow and it's going to be made entirely out of recycled plastic. plastic yeah so how does that work where's the plastic coming from how's it getting processed into the boat pieces What is the
2: Okay, so w- uh, I'll start with where we are right now. Yeah. Um, and you're very fortunate, I think, to, 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 to be heading off to Lamu, and you'll get to see it firsthand. We're completing the prototype, which is a seven meter, about 20 feet. Still um, pretty big. <laughs> still pretty big. Yeah, and you'll see it, and you're like, whoa. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the prototype? That's what we call flip-floppy Dogo. In Swahili, Dogo means small. Wow.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah?
2: That's the baby of the mother. Um, so that's near completion. We started two years ago with building the main dow, which is sixty foot dow. That's what twenty one meters, uh, about twenty meters. Um, and b- the reason we started with the big one was partly, uh, uh, partly because we were um, maybe a little bit over ambitious, a little bit over confident, but also realistically we had to understand whether it was possible to make a keel that big. Mm. It's easy enough to make a keel the size of your leg out of plastic. We know that because people make poles out of them, fencing poles all the time. No problem. Mm. But can you make a keel, which is the spine of the boat, that is going to be a, a foot in width, you know, in diameter, Wow. and at least six meters long,
0: Wow! and
2: you have to join that keel to another keel, the same ha- three of those keels, essentially. So we had to understand whether it was actually possible to make these large parts of the boat that's just the keel. Mm. A, a Tao is a very unique boat in itself because there is no one way one sort of model of making a dhow. every Tao is unique because every branch that is chosen or every log that is chosen is unique so it's carved in order to fit that particular thing and a Tao sort of constructs itself as it goes along in that way because you know your ribs are this size and that size etc etc so so it, 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 I, I i do see dial making as an art rather than something functional as well um, so so we made these large pieces some of a lot of the large pieces we managed successfully to to make um, with a lot of mistakes and a lot of a lot of cost to it um, uh, we failed at certain parts of the boat as well of course you make mistakes there's it, it's no Google answer to this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah.
0: How do you make a Dow out of How recycled ma- plastic? How do
2: you make a Dow out of recycled plastic? And you know, we, we've been very fortunate to to have a lot of people sort of inputting in in different things and we've had universities explaining to us a little bit more about the, the, the mechanics behind it and the structural integrity behind these sort of things as well. We have another key player on the team, Leonard, who's a who's an engineer as well. So he, he he's absolutely key to Sort of, he was the in-between man between the factory that was making the parts and Ali, the boat builder, um, who said it has to be like this, but doesn't quite understand the the um, the, the the technicalities of it. You know, the composition of, of what plastics you have to put together. Right. Yeah. Um, he knows that the, you know because a lot of this is it, it, Dow building is in his DNA, and he'll tell you all about it. Yeah, and I don't question his ability to build anything. But there's another science to plastic. Yeah, yeah. it's a different sure. material because dows
0: are usually made of wood. Wood. Right, so it's a different material. Absolutely.
2: Right. So, you know, here we are saying, you know, trying to make this thing and having all sorts of problems, you know, we, we made these huge keels. I mean, really, a six meter long keel, the size of, you know, it's one foot in diameter, uh, weighing 1.5 tons. And, and we'd ship this thing over to from Malindi, which is this th- the town where the factory is on the coast. Um, to to Lamu, very difficult to get there by road and uh, we'd get there and it would get to his offload it it'd have to cross over on a boat to the main uh, to the island and you know offload all these keels and then they'd start carving away and they find these huge air pockets oh in no. of the keel, oh, no. massive air pockets yeah and this was just happening we were all sorts of things were happening of course as you can understand you don't know you don't know, you don't know. No. Um, th- the factory that we were working with I mean bless him Sam from Regeneration Africa, he he really got in, into it and really embraced the whole project, um, and, and made all the parts parts for the boat. Um, we've had our we've had our issues, of course we've had issues. So. We we built a lot of the large parts of the boat. We realized yes, it's possible. We still have certain you know key key questions that need answering about in terms of strength. Yeah, the strength of what wood can withstand versus the strength of certain plastics is very different. How do you increase that strength in order for it to withstand a wave of that particular impact? Mm-hmm. You know, there's right. all of that sort of stuff. So Leonard is that key missing ingredient as the engineer who's been doing all the science behind and saying, listen, you have to increase perhaps that this amount of type of plastic into it to to get the make strength it durable. make oh. it more durable one of the key things we know now for the larger parts of the of the boat is that we're going to have to add fiberglass in which i don't have a problem with because we will make it out of recycled glass and uh, uh, you know fiberglass is fine so we're going to have to use a certain le- a level of fiberglass in the larger parts to to increase the strength of, yeah. of certain things Fair at enough. the end of the day the large dow we want to sail it to south africa
0: wow that's a journey and a half
2: yes um, and nobody's ever sailed a dhow south of Beira in Mozambique. Perhaps really? for very good reasons. Little alone a plastic dhow. a pla- novel yes.
1: plastic boat, yeah. that's so insane. That
2: is the ultimate vision for us, to build a 60-foot dhow and sail it around the Cape of Good Hope and dock it in Cape Town. Oh, wow. Wow. How cool will that
0: be? Yeah.
1: We'll, we'll make sure. When that happens, we'll be waiting for you guys in Cape Town, <laughs> hopefully on the <laughs> land, and not kicking ourselves
2: out of the water. <laughs> uh, yeah. How's that commitment? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah. TBC, but I'd love that. That would be pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, well, uh, I certainly know we'll build the dow. Um, so, w- we, yeah, we were very, we've been very. I think we were over ambitious. Um, we, uh, we we thought we would finish building a sixty foot dow in one year. We're two years into it now, and um, we built a small dow, and it's you'll see it. Um, and it's going to be, be doing its first seed trials in, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and we intend to use that DAO to now kick start the next sort of fundraising and say, hey, world, we've proved it off our own backs, mostly off our own finances. We've successfully made a prototype. Now we, we need the funding to build this big boy.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
2: that's where we are.
0: And on the, on the website, you guys have a section called Key Messages, which are Recycle, Engage, Activate, and Inspire and they are each linked back to the sustainable development goals. And I understand these are, this is what you guys are doing this whole thing for. This is, the, this is the point of the whole
2: thing. Absolutely. Uh,
0: could you run us through what those key messages are? What, is, what are you guys trying to communicate with this amazing DAO? The, the,
2: the crux of it is really, really simple. Plastic is far too precious a resource to use once and throw away. It's absolutely stupid if you think of it I mean human beings make some pretty stupid decisions mm-hmm. and I think plastic is one of those
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: how do you take something that is non biodegradable that is made from a non-renewable resource that can last for hundreds of years and you use it to wrap something that you're literally going to use for five seconds and throw in the dustbin I think you know I think that is the crux Looking of what we're doing. Looking back on it it's
0: crazy isn't Looking it? Looking
2: back on it it's crazy but you know uh, we've done this so many times like smoking cigarettes yeah it's yeah. like at one point, <laughs> you know your parents probably my parents were sitting in, a, in with the doctor and the doctor was smoking in front of them. Yeah. And saying, you better prescribing take it. prescribing it yeah. you know distress you in your pregnancy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, and I, we're very good at doing that as a species, yeah? we get all excited about something and we just
0: without even really thinking about what the, the long game looks like. and
2: I think that is also what yeah, I think we've you've, you've hit on the other sort of key thing here as well is. We, we need to rethink ourselves as a species and how we interact with our environment. And, and I think the boat, f- certainly for me and, and, and for the team who are involved in it, symbolizes so much more in it, yeah? But also there, it, it, you know, yes, there's the environmental issues, but also there's the, the solutions. And, and this is very positive messaging for us. The boat is an inspiring, positive message of hope, mm-hmm. um, and and also the 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 sheer the sheer innovative spirit of 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 Kenyans of Africans. Yeah, here is here is a potential solution for a global problem with an African solution that is actually embedded into something that has hundreds of years of tradition in it. Yeah, S- so okay. you don't have to look so far for a solution in many ways. If you see what I'm saying, mm. it's right there. Uh, and you know sort of attached to that is y- if you think about it particularly in Kenya and I, I can't speak for the rest of Africa. I don't certainly don't want to, to don't want to people don't really throw things away everything is reused yeah the, the throwing away consumer culture is something that is just proliferated with with the new growth of middle class but the mama on the side of the road when she's wrapping up her, her her vegetables or things like that, she'll take that plastic bag home. She'll use it over and over again. Nothing is ever really thrown away. You go to any rural place, I'm sure it's the same as South Africa, to a certain extent as well, where things were never thrown away. And your parents would have been the same probably, mm. as were mine. My mom hates to throw anything away. It's always used even even toilet rolls were kept because they had a function. Yeah, Yes, exactly. Surely you don't throw things away. Yeah. yeah? Um, and I think th- there's a lot to be said about these sort of values in the society that have been brushed away with this rapid growth of consumerism so to me the solution is not out there it's actually the hero in this story is that elderly lady who's sitting on the side of the road that doesn't want to throw anything away Absolutely. I have respect for her that's what we're forgetting over here and I would like to see this campaign rekindle some of those values that are right on the side of our road yeah the young sort of hip um, yo-yo guy who's you know driving along with his chick and flings his bottle out of the out of the out of the window he's not the cool dude here yeah somehow or another he's ended up being the cool dude yeah and she on the side of the road is being laughed at because she doesn't throw away anything yeah yeah Mm. where did we get so screwed up in, in in our in our value chain yeah
0: absolutely how can we how can we bring back some of those values that have been you know served us well as humanity for a very long
2: time exactly exactly and so so we created this thing called the plastic revolution which is really what we're doing over here this boat is very much to get that message out um and the campaign has done pretty well
0: using the hashtag
2: using the hashtag plastic revolution um and um you know uh, ultimately a vision of ending single-use plastic is what this is all about for us And the boat is very much a vessel to get there figuratively and literally um, And we did a b- about a year ago on World Ocean Day um, uh, uh, We managed to put together a video full of Kenyan celebrities um, Which was wonderful. I, I was able to pick up the phone because I've worked with a few of these people uh, And I said listen, you know We've got this project and we want to sort of get this message out there. And everyone's like great idea great idea yeah, some big names came out onto it a big rap star called Giuliani said I love the idea I'm going to get behind the video Maya Von Lecco, Eric Wainaina all these great you know singers and, and well known sort of actors are those
0: the guys in the video the family in there the video? but yeah. we did one just with
2: them oh very cool And um, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show it's right. really cool it, it, you get it because it's, it's very Kenyan as well and that's what it was meant to be and again it goes back to this thing about saying yes it's a very well known sort of um strategy to use celebrity buy-in in europe and the west for an environmental issue that's not an un- it's a very known done thing but i don't know many examples from this continent where they're actually sort of harnessing celebrities environmental messages oh, right,
0: yeah
2: and that's what i wanted to do with this video great idea is get get these people in because those are the people we listen to and we respect particular everywhere around the world
1: they're cool they're right. cool they could make so that cool if the
2: rap star giuliani can be reaching out to his yo-yos and saying it ain't so cool to throw that bottle over there look at me maybe we can start to have that sort of an impact on behavioral change as well yeah, yeah. So it it, it did do very well, it picked up and it definitely that video was a a game changer for the attention to the flip floppy because suddenly the media turned to us and there's been huge amounts of media on the story since then. It's just every other day there's a story coming out on on the on the um on the news locally and internationally.
0: It's plastic free July right now. It is. Uh, Have you guys been leveraging that at all or jumping on that bandwagon?
2: Um Okay, so we all we all run full-time jobs
0: that's the problem yeah (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: we um you got to pay the bills somehow we got to pay the bills somehow and we never wanted this to be an institution or an organization with people paid salaries Mm. we're not an NGO we're a movement of a group of people and anyone who wants to join go ahead yeah do your little bit share your story donate if you want to Tell us that you stopped using yogurt plastic throwaways or whatever it is that's what this is so yeah i keep trying to keep the social media we have a friend from south africa as well who also helps with the social media there's a group of a handful of people who have given time to this project and there's the core of the project which is myself ben um my cousin sham um and leonard the engineer and Sekile, who's in south africa who are doing this entirely voluntarily um, we if we go to a conference and we're invited to, we pay out of our own pockets. Jeez! Um, if we do anything, we we pay for it ourselves, and that has been the principle of the project from day one, and that will never change. Right. So mm-hmm. when you say have we have we got involved in plastic <laughs> free? <refrigerator, laughs>
0: spare time, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's yeah, sure. We'll we'll <laughs> capitalize on it on our social media and talk about it and use things like that and exchange views, etc. Um, but I- time is it's hard
0: yeah
2: it is a full-time job this pl- this 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 boat yeah uh, i simply don't have the, don't have that the has time been. yeah fair enough well
0: when we're there we'll post we'll do a post for the plastic free july with the dow in it great yeah
2: Please absolutely do. <laughs> absolutely yeah. so there is a uh, there is an eight minute documentary suppo- eight to twelve minute documentary supposed to be coming out entirely about the boat this july
0: oh great Perfect. it timing. was shot
2: and funded by um danon the big sort of multinational um, company in france that's doing its bit for reducing its own plastic footprint. And they funded these guys to come out and make a documentary. So it should be coming out any time now. That's brilliant. Denon, the food company. Yeah, Denon, the food company. The yoga guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's taken a long time to come up, but it should be coming out any moment. Excellent. They said they want to time it with Plastic Free July. So look out for it. Brilliant. We will. will. Maybe we can add that link as well to the show notes. It'll it'll definitely be out. It was in the Times, uh, uh, the Sunday Times, the UK Times the other day. yeah, th- it's. I think it's coming out in a in a South African um, uh, online. not online airline paper uh, magazine called Mango Juice or something. Mango oh like yeah, Juice, mango yep, yeah, Mango, yeah, mango juice. I think. Yeah, she's been backing and forwarding with me just now. She's finished the article, so it's still it's still all over the news, and th- I think that th- that's definitely wonderful. Of course, um, it hasn't helped at all with the fundraising. Right. If I'm brutally honest with you. Um, we've really struggled to, f- to to fundraise for this boat. I think part of it is, you know, it's this notion that, wow, they're doing this they, and it's so successful and they got all this media attention, they don't, clearly don't they need it. They don't need it. Like, the stick. hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. And actually, it's, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. But that has always been the strategy is to run this as a media campaign. Uh, and the media has been wonderful in that the story has been out on things like BBC twice. And you think, you know, and they want to do it again, you know. Uh, it's again because I think that it's it's such a if I may say, it's such a beautiful symbol and it's got a story from starting from being built. Now it's being built. Then it's gonna be on the water, then the next one's gonna come out. Plastic unfortunately is not going anywhere. Yeah. And this vessel, if you look at sort of I, I'm definitely not going to say that, I, I, you know, it, you know, in the last two years has been a huge amount of media attention and the world has had an awakening, definitely. Mm. I think our boat has maybe made its contribution certainly in this part of the world. I would like to think it's it's played a little bit of a role, but there has definitely unquestionably been an awakening in the world. And yeah. I think, you know, if you look back and sort of read about the sort of the founding fathers of plastic pollution. Who was screaming about this 30, 40 years ago, and they were being shut down, completely shut really? down academically. Their papers weren't allowed to be published. You know, the oil industry got back and, fi- met, you know, financed a huge science push <laughs> against it all.
0: Because oh, the and picture and exactly, and, you know.
2: and it all went underground. But you know, I think probably last three, four, two years, three years. You know, it's you look at your Facebook feed.
0: Yeah, it's all plastic. It's All plastic. Yeah, I wonder and if that's the algorithm though, because. Yeah, the people who are interested in To extent, <laughs> it is. But
2: if you look at the mainstream news as well, if you look at big that papers, that's true. There is at least an article once a week mm. on the BBC, on the Guardian, on the Times. Sky News has a dedicated channel called Sky Ocean Rescue.
0: Huh. Yeah, and I guess Blue Planet Two has really Blue helped. Blue
2: Planet woke up the
1: UK
0: and yeah. big
1: companies who are. Committing and pledging to get rid of single-use. I even just saw
2: Starbucks. Absolutely. Yeah 2020 to that all straws that's an was it all single-use All so single-use st- plastic. I that is incredible McDonald's is under a lot of pressure to do it You know, I know people like Unilever which are huge companies that are you know, every product they have is plastic mm. based are saying We are committed to making a change coca-cola, Coca-Cola. I too. so, you know Uh, Whether it's too late or not, you know, we're we're yet to find out. I suspect to a certain degree it is a bit too late. Our oceans are full of it. We're eating it. We know it as a fact. Um, I don't think we can avoid it in any way or use. It's so hard to live your life without plastic. Mm -hmm. I always get very curious about those people who say I'm 100% plastic free, single-use plastic free. Amazing. I find it very difficult uh, to, 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 to have a family in a country like Kenya and, and to be plastic free, yeah. it's almost impossible. Unless yeah. you have a proper yeah. recycling
0: program yeah. and a proper, you know, all yeah, that stuff yeah, set yeah.
2: up. Forget the recycling, I mean, actually just not not consuming it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's virtually exactly. impossible. Yeah. So you
0: need to have the infrastructure yeah. around our you. Our bread is in it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Our Everything is in it, you know. Yeah, and, and my children, are they, they, they understand it and they get it. And, you know, they see their dad gets very frustrated when, you know, they want to buy balloons for their birthday and things like that. And you know, <laughs> um, but there will uh, be no balloons. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, absolutely, y- y- you've got to find that balance as well. You know, they're, they're definitely a lot better than what we used to be. Um, and I, you know, I still make the mistake. I'll order a drink in the, in a restaurant, and a straw will come. Oh my gosh, that yeah, is the most annoying thing. And
1: we forget to and tell them not to bring to the Yeah,
2: so we're all responsible. Mm. Uh, yeah, nobody's nobody's saying plastic is is evil i mean it's an amazing it's an, it's an amazing material it's so amazing that it's it's like cockroaches it's taking, taking over, over us <laughs> 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 it'll be a lot longer than we will <laughs> never <laughs> mind <laughs> artificial <laughs> and ta-
0: never mind machine learning yeah, and artificial no, we'll intelligence
2: be all gone and yeah. there's just plastic yeah. and cockroaches yeah. around
0: yeah. everyone <laughs> thought it would be terminator that takes us down but actually it'll just be plastic, it'll just <laughs>
1: be plastic. Yeah, yeah. plastic. doesn't even have a brain yeah. <laughs> imagine that imagine that <laughs> how clever were we <laughs> <laughs> so i just want to ask you quickly and you might have already answered this. You know, clearly you've thought so much about environmental and social issues. What keeps you up most at night? What 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 are your biggest concerns for the planet right
2: now? I, uh, it's, it's good. I guess it's a, a, a valid question, um, pertinent question. Because um, I said I was walking down the beach just yesterday in Diani uh, with some friends, and I was saying it's it, it's going to be a very different planet for our children. Mm. Um, I think sometimes I I'm not a I'm not an academic I'm not a scientist I'm not specialized in this I'm just your average sort of middle-class human being but you look at what we take for granted as we grew up and the lack of understanding of the impact of those things that were having on us versus the first hand experiences that we have now of people with cancer for example you know global disasters that are um, natural disasters that are on the increase unquestionably um, the the growth of population the growth of wars all of these sort of things yes we've been killing each other for god knows how long but Mm. there were a lot less of us then weren't there Um, and and I think about how we how we sort of engage with how these things have become a norm like cancer
0: yeah
2: it has uh, i'm sure every single one of us have someone very close that we've lost from cancer and we're losing on a daily basis yeah? absolutely uh, uh, and you if if that is the reality that we're in right now yeah where we know that climate change is there and it's happening we see it firsthand we see crops have it being affected we see places by the ocean being affected we see the polar bears being affected what and it's happening so quickly what's it going to be like for our children are we entering the Mad Max era. I don't know, but sometimes I get that feeling that we're, we're not far from it. We're mm. right at that tipping point. We yep. really are at that tipping point, yeah? Uh, and, and you know, we're sitting there in our cars and we're complaining about traffic and, and we're complaining about how terrible things are and we're, we're actually part and parcel of why it's all so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, exactly. you, and then you see yourself get angry with the person you know, in front of you and he's angry with the next person. And then, you know, you, you hear about these stories of road rage and you actually realize I could be that same guy coming out and beating someone else to a pulp because you're so full of anger and rage in these situations. And you think we're, we're like this time bomb, of ex- you know, that's waiting to explode. And either we're going to just kill each other or something's going to come along and do it for us, hopefully. So uh, I, I'm, am I optimistic? Yes, having said that. that's a 180 (laughs) (laughs) yeah because again we're we're uh, we're so alarmists we're very reactive Mm -hmm. as a species aren't we you know it takes us a while but then suddenly and plastic is your classic example everyone's getting ready everyone's Mm -hmm. changing and I think it actually is making there actually is change Climate change we, is questionable, you know. With people like Donald Trump sitting at the top of the food chain, Yeah. Um, you, you, you know that you know that's taking a step back. But when you see this movement, particularly in Western countries, of how of how um, how people are consciously trying to reduce their single-use plastic footprints, you, you do realize uh, uh, that it overnight it could happen.
1: Yeah.
2: The biggest the biggest emitters are unquestionably in asia we know that you know there's the five biggest emitters but countries like india and cities like mumbai who have made these massive statements and said we're banning single-use plastic mumbai's done it that's a city of what 20 million people
0: yeah
2: and they've just gone bang over kenya's done it kenya banned plastic bags it said yes we still have problems as leakage into the system and things like that but we do now work in a society where we live without plastic bags and it's possible and it's possible yeah. and it happened overnight so I think you know the realization is that we can it, it is actually fairly simple to sort the problem out mm. yeah we
1: just, sometimes all like that It's interesting sometimes course correction can feel like s- incredibly laborious process when you have all the bureaucracy and red tape but you're right, there are times when it can happen overnight and Everyone big just decisions. Gets the when the message. Pro- yeah, when p- the message gets across and people realize that there's a real problem here and we are facing that 11th hour. So, focusing on the positive sides of things, and, and aside from Flip Floppy, are there any other innovative projects or initiatives that you've seen come out of Kenya or just the world really that you're excited about?
2: M Pesa? Have you heard of M Pesa? Yes. yes.
0: Super cool. What huh? a
2: game changer. Yeah. yeah. People suddenly having access to cash that was you know and that was I think you know if, the w- if you look at why why Kenya is still growing and why suddenly we had this 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 growth of middle class was suddenly access to cash you know and, and this simple example is this sort of am I answering your question Absolutely. Absolutely. you know you look at I have an employee for example he works away from home which is classic over here he works very far from his family. He comes to work in my camp. He sleeps in our camp. His family are based 600 miles away. Now, traditionally, he's also in a bush camp. Okay, this is just a simple example, but it demonstrates the power of MPEs and the power of change. Now, he would get his salary. I have to bank his salary in the, in his bank account, right? He has to go to town to get that money. He has to pay the the the, the transport fare, which costs him money. He then has to send that money which the banks take huge amounts of uh, transaction money to his wife his wife probably lives in a village that is very far away from town Mm. she then has to get on a on a bus to go to the town to access the money probably in sending the equivalent of 10 us dollars they probably lost three or four maybe in those days in just that transaction now for your average poor person that is a huge amount of money lost that's very big, significant amount of money. It's massive. Now comes along this ability to ch- to transact money from your phone to his phone instantly. I send him his salary to his phone. He sends it for about a tenth of the cost directly to his wife. She doesn't even have to withdraw the cash. She can go and pay her school fees with that straight to the to the account. She can buy her vegetables on the side of the road with that phone suddenly money is moving in places that it didn't exist before. Yeah.
1: And that increases the quality of life hugely.
0: Adds so much simplicity. It's no. not imagine, getting stuck in
1: institutions. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Nobody's yeah. And I think the ticket there. I think that was a game changer for Kenya, That's complete cool. game changer. And, it, it, and that was born in Kenya. And now mobile money has become, you know, it's a, it's a, world, it's a world player now. In Kenya, the M-Pesa safaricom transacts more money than any bank in Kenya. Wow. I think they have uh, more probably funds at one day than probably these banks actually have yeah and that's just from the small little user that $10 transaction can hundreds of millions of shillings I- per just day just through. going through the system yeah, yeah? yeah. moving around wow but, but of serious. course there's the fear of them being a monopoly and all the rest of that but it's changed people's lives yeah, for sure. You can yep. see it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's really That's exciting. Really
0: cool. Mm. Very cool.
1: Another question I wanted to ask you because I realized we probably over an hour now, but it would be really interesting to know what you think the most important change that a person could make for the sustainability of our planet. The most important change to their lives. I know it's a doozy, but I'm really interested to get your thoughts on that
2: I think for certainly for um, people of of our economic level we have choice and with choice comes duty you can make certain changes to your lifestyle that would reduce the impact on the environment pretty quickly we do know the harms that eating beef does to the planet. And I'm talking purely from the planet's perspective. Um, We have the choice to stop eating it. We have the choice to to turn to organic foods. We have the choice to turn to organic vegetables. We have the choice to not take that plastic bag or not. I think it starts over there. It's very difficult to make those personal choices. I struggle with it. You know, I have to say, you know, sometimes I crave for my steak. Yeah, I grew up with that. but i feel bad about it and i'm aware of it and i can do something about it and i think we're the biggest culprits us middle class people because it's so easy not to do anything and it's so easy to just go there and buy whatever you want from the supermarkets and come home with these bags full of crap that you don't need and and making those sort of lifestyle decisions you know just to sort of change your sort of y- your environmental footprint i think we'll start there there's you know we probably create much more of a bigger carbon footprint as a family of four than a local poor family of 12 Mm -hmm. probably a hundred times more
0: as middle-class population we are the largest consumers consumers that actually can make change happen quickly yeah
2: and but we are the largest consumers and we actually have the choice to change that poor family yes they throw their rubbish out of the house right onto the roadside but they don't have any choice because and it's recycling. probably not that much rubbish. And it's probably they're not compared, as you were saying. Absolutely, yeah. you know? I mean, what do we put in our dustbins on a daily basis?
0: Yeah, just because yeah. we can't see where it's going and exactly. doesn't mean it's out side, not... Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out, out of mind. mind.
2: Yes, there are too many people on the planet, but it's probably more accurate to say there are too many consumers on the planet. Yeah? I don't think that mass population of impoverished people are the problem. It's us.
0: Yeah? And isn't that such an empowering thought that we can like just do really simple things to have a huge impact?
2: Absolutely, it's quite absolutely.
0: Very similar question. If you could send out one message to the world and have it land in every single human's ear and have it truly heard and understood, and accepted, what would that be?
1: That's called brainwashing or mind control. That would be called propaganda.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I i truly believe that you know we're we're all in the era where saving the planet is the number one priority and I think all of what we do uh, has to be with the bigger picture in mind that our homes and our planet is threatened at this at this time and for this for our survival forget us for for, for those for the innocent people that are victims to our way of living we have a duty to try and make their lives possible livable so does that make sense makes yeah. complete sense yeah. yeah
0: okay that would go far if it got into everyone's ear for sure mm. very last question where can people find you how can they support flip floppy
2: there's a website the f- the dot um, we're 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 trying to be very active on social media as well we've got a we've got an Instagram account and a Twitter account and a Facebook account and all the social media accounts um it's you got a
0: YouTube as well I think We have a that.
2: YouTube video yeah. uh, account as well so we're, we're active online and it's all under the flip floppy um, so find us there um, and follow the story and uh, follow the progress of the boat and you know We also like I said because it's a movement. It's not just about the boat It's it's about sharing stories that we come across very much like what you're doing that are huge inspiring the other day I was walking on the beach and I found this person had built uh, a, a lifeguard watchtower but entirely out of plastic bottles cool oh, yeah i love it <laughs> yeah i want to share that and you know we come across small little grassroots sort of recycling projects and we want people to share their stories and we'll blog about them on our site because we are getting quite a lot of traffic the boat has the boat has sort of created a a, a community and a following and we want to use that to share other people's stories yeah. so it's that is what this boat is about you know it's a vessel of hope it's a vessel to communicate very I cool. love that. That's yeah. yeah. so, so, so people inspiring. can send in their stories. Absolutely, absolutely, get the movement
0: happening. Yeah, plastic and revolution. We
2: will gladly share it out.
0: Maybe once plastic free July is over, or maybe now as well. But getting that hashtag plastic revolution would help as well. Even I if think it's so. Just that. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think that 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 to us was um, that that it was very humble It was um, yeah, put a big smile to our faces when the the reporter for the um in the Times article referred to the flip floppy as. Africa's blue planet moment
0: very cool yeah. that
2: is something and I thought yes Thank you. Um, I, I would like to think that's what we're trying to do uh, And I think what's most important thing that I take away from this is I'm not paid to do this. This is a lifestyle choice so when back to your question about what a, you know, what can you do? anyone of our economic level has the choice to engage in something that is meaningful other than just their jobs yeah how much time do we spend on our facebook accounts or watching the world cup football what would it take to put one hour aside to fundraise for dolphins or dugongs or you know help your local neighborhood or go outside or sponsor a child's you know we we can all do it
0: yeah
2: yeah absolutely so we're building a, a we're trying to build this ridiculously large boat. I mean,
0: (laughs) surely I can do without a bit (laughs) of plastic. Made out of (laughs) flip-flops. Made out of (laughs) flip-flops
2: and trash. (laughs) Surely we can all do our bit.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dipesh. We have thoroughly enjoyed hearing all of your wisdom and learning from you. And we are super excited to see the flip-floppy make a splash internationally and we will do be its
1: following it very closely and yeah. i'm still very keen on meeting you in the cape of good hope
2: yeah, <laughs> <That> was, yeah. <laughs> One day. I, <laughs> I was going to push for this probably we yeah. will it will happen yeah. I'll be yeah. Very yeah. Cool. Be we amazing. might be old grandparents by then <laughs> but <laughs> that <laughs> damn boat is going to get there yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will get there yeah. <laughs> it has to, yeah. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you you've been you're great thank you very are. good at this oh <laughs> thanks really yeah we're getting there yeah it's <laughs> nice i mean you're you're clearly interested and uh, that's really that's very nice well done to you guys no thank,
1: thank you so thank you for having us again
0: and, yeah thanks for the time
1: no worries
0: what a fascinating guy huh we hope you enjoyed this discussion with Depeche and are inspired to make your own change it is also worth a mention that we visited the flip Floppy's esteemed boat builder Ali in Lamu Kenya and witnessed firsthand the work that has been done on the pilot Dow we were super impressed, so if you're into this sort of thing and believe in the change that this team is working to inspire, please consider supporting the project and helping to get this very special boat out on the water. You can do so at flipfloppy.com or check out our show notes for links. Thank you for listening and see you next time.